Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. Wonderful. Good to be with you this morning. For those of you who I don't know as well, I know there's some people who have come in recent years. I grew up in this church and was actually the youth college and music pastor here from about 2011 through 2014 when I left to go do doctoral work. And just really love Day Spring. I always enjoy being back with you guys. But I, uh, I'm in Ohio now, and it's obviously much colder there, but braving through that. And uh, it's, it's been really great. Uh, it's been hard in many ways moving to a new place where I don't know a lot of people. But at the same time, it's really a blessing to be able to minister where I do at Ohio Christian University. As Dad mentioned, I get to chair the theology and ministry department there. And we are preparing the next generation of leaders for the church. And we hope that some of those, some of our students will eventually come from Dayspring Community Church and we'll be able to send them out. But we also hope that maybe someday we'll be able to send one of our students here to minister. That'd be an amazing thing if that could happen someday. But I tell you what, Christmas is a tough time to preach. Why? Because Christmas happens every single year. And that means that when you get up here and you're going to preach Christmas. You can't not preach about the Incarnation. You can't not preach the Christmas story. But at the same time, I know that you all know the Christmas story, right? So what am I going to tell you that is fresh, that's new? At the same time, though, I think we have a little bit of an issue because we don't know the Christmas story as well as we think we do. You're saying, what what in the world are you talking about? Well, here's what I mean. We all have a Christmas story in our heads, right? But the Christmas story that is in your head is actually a good bit different than either of the ones that we have in the Bible. You're like, whoa, wait a second, what are you talking about? Well, here's what I mean. We have two, two Christmas stories, essentially. You've got Matthews, right, and Matthew 1 to 2, and then you've got Luke's and Luke 1 to 2. But those are very different stories. Now, they're stories that fit together really well, but they are really different. They emphasize different sorts of things. And what we do is we, we put them together on our heads, but we miss the individual emphases of each story. Now, there's nothing wrong with putting them together ultimately, but it's important to be able to say, see what each author is trying to tell us about who Jesus is and what we need to realize about Christmas. So, let me just illustrate this for you. So, my mom, she doesn't collect many things besides children, but... Uh, <laughs> One of the things that she does collect besides children is nativity sets. And she's, if you come into our living room, you can see she just got them spread all over the place. We got them sitting on our baby grand piano, and we've got them on the shelves, and they're on the tables. I mean, there really is not a flat surface in that living room besides the chair that doesn't have a nativity on it. And she's got them from all sorts of countries. I think Mr. Henry has, has brought her back a couple from different places on the mission field. And it's really beautiful to see how different cultures will take the nativity scene and make it their own, right? What, is it, what does it look like to have a nativity scene from Africa or one from India? But you look at those nativity scenes, and there, there's some... I was actually looking last night just to make sure. There are usually some common characteristics, Right? You've got Mary, of course, and Joseph, and Jesus is pretty important as well. There's usually a manger, and then you've got shepherds, and wise men, and an angel, maybe a star. Okay, so here's what I want want you to do. Uh, I want you to take your hands. You don't have to raise them up. I just want you to take your hands like this. 
Okay, keep, keep them to yourself. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, out yourself in front of everybody. Uh, this is Matthew. This is Luke. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to say something and I want you to guess, hopefully not, hopefully more than guess, but just make an educated guess as to which story, which, which birth story these are in. It could be Matthew, Luke, or both. Okay. You ready? So Matthew, Luke, both. All right. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Let's just make sure everybody's awake here. You got it? All right, that's both. Good. All right. All right. Now, uh, shepherds. Only in Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, how about the wise men? Only in Matthew. Yep. Okay, how about the angel? Kind of both and kind of neither, because nobody actually says that there's an angel there when Jesus is born, but there are angels all throughout both of the stories, but at different points. Okay, so you see what I mean? They're a little bit different stories. And I want to talk today about Luke's story. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And I'll give you a verse here in just a minute. But one of the really unique elements of Luke's Christmas stories, one of of the ways that he is different than Matthew, is that Luke is telling a story about two babies, not just one. You see... Luke is telling a story about John the Baptist and a story about Jesus. In fact, his whole birth story, Luke 1 to 2, these chapters alternate between John's sections and Jesus' sections. So, in chapter 1, verses 5 to 25, you've got Gabriel coming to Zechariah to tell him that he's going to have a son named John. Okay, And then you go to the next story, And you get Gabriel, again, coming to Mary to tell her about how she's going to have a baby named Jesus. Okay. Then you've got a scene where they, where Mary and Elizabeth, John's mother, meet up. And then you have John's birth and his childhood, and then Jesus' birth and his childhood. So, this is a story about two babies. Not just, not just about Jesus, also about John. And we might ask ourselves, well, why is, John, why is Luke telling us this story about two babies, right? Just tell us about Jesus. Tell us about the one that we really care about. But I think there's a reason he's doing this. One, one part of it is he's trying to help us understand who these two characters are by using what we call comparison and contrast. Now, Luke isn't the only author in the ancient world who did this. In fact, there was a guy named Plutarch, currently reading, reading Plutarch, and Plutarch wrote about 100 AD, so he wrote after Luke. But Plutarch would take, he's got this work called Parallel Lives, and he would take a great Greek figure of the past and tell his story, and then he would take a great Roman figure of the past and tell his story, but he would try to pick people who were kind of similar in certain ways, but were also different in other ways. So he would tell you one story, and then he'd tell you another story, and then he tells you, here's how they compare and contrast with each other, and here's what we can learn from them. And I think Luke's doing a little bit of that sort of thing. He's putting these stories in front of us to help us compare and contrast. But what you realize as you go through the story is that the point of the comparison and contrast is to show how great Jesus is in comparison to John. So let me give you a couple examples of this. John, who are his parents? Zechariah, right, and Elizabeth. And they're really old. They're kind of like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. They're really old, but God gives them a child against all biological odds. So John's parents are old, 
But Jesus' mother is a virgin, right? So hard, a lot harder, right? <laughs> this has happened like once, once or twice before in human history. This has never happened before in human history. Okay, uh, John, Gabriel says that John is going to be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. Whoa. Okay, so John got a little, little foretaste of Pentecost there. So John is going to be filled with the Spirit from, from his mother's womb, but Jesus is actually conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hmm, okay, so this, this is interesting. This is more. John is going to be a prophet like the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. He's going to prepare the people for God to arrive. But Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus, we find, is the Son of God. In fact, he is God in the flesh who has come down. So John is good, but Jesus is more. And then John's father, Zechariah, doubts when the angel tells him that they're going to have a baby. But Jesus' mother, Mary, she trusts and says, let it be to me as you have said. So the whole point of this parallelism is to show John's good, but Jesus is better. John's good, but Jesus is better. We might say that in Luke's story, John plays second fiddle to Jesus. You guys ever heard that phrase, second fiddle, before? Second fiddle, that actually comes from orchestras. And in the orchestra, I had to read up on this. It's interesting. You've got the first violin. So first violin is not the only violin. It's the, it's the violin that leads the whole first violin section. So this is going to be a really, really skilled violinist. And they're going to be the one who actually, if you ever go to a symphony or something, they're the one who stands up and they kind of tune the orchestra. They're a real leader. And they lead the first violin part. And usually, first violins play the melody. But there's a second violin. And the second violinist is also a lead position. But it's not usually playing the melody. You have to be very skilled to be a first violinist or a second violinist. But the second violin is usually leading another group that is playing harmony parts or parts that are going to accent what's going on with the melody. When I was getting ready for this message, I was watching a clip on YouTube of a, a violinist, professional violinist, who, talking about how difficult it is to play second violin. Because you're always trying to make what someone else is doing sound good. It's not about you. You're just there to make the melody sound good. Leonard Bernstein, who is a really, really famous uh, composer, he actually composed West Side Story, if you guys know that, that musical, but also a very famous conductor. Someone one time asked him, what is the hardest instrument to play in the orchestra? And without hesitating for a second, he said, second fiddle. Here's what he says. I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or someone who will play second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet if no one plays second, we have no harmony. Hmm. So John plays second fiddle. He plays second fiddle in Luke's gospel. He plays second fiddle in redemptive history. But I want to take us to a place in the story where John and Jesus meet for the first time. So if you will, I ask you to go to Luke 1. Let's go to Luke 1, verse 39. Now, a little backstory here. 
This is right after Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, hey, you're going to have this child. Uh, you're going to be a virgin when you have him. And he, she says, how can I know? He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, overshadow you. And guess what? Your relative Elizabeth, she's pregnant. She's old and she's, she's pregnant. This is kind of a sign for Mary. So Mary, she packs up and she goes to meet Elizabeth. And here's what happens. Verse 39, in those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, so Mary comes in and she meets Elizabeth. But the moment that Elizabeth hears what Mary says, the says that the baby, John, leaps in her womb. Now, I've never been pregnant. But I think this is probably a, di- a little bit different than that, like, that little kick, right? Where it's like, oh, look, they're in there, right? This is like a, whoa, right? <laughs> okay, this got her attention because, uh, and actually apparently it got the Holy Spirit's attention too because the Holy Spirit comes upon her and she speaks. Now, what she says is, blessed are you, right? Mary, blessed are you because you are the one who gets to bear the child. And she says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? So, even, even as G- the baby Jesus is in Mary's womb, and by the way, this is the first time in the story that we know that Jesus exists. So even at this point, Elizabeth recognizes this baby is Lord. Now we don't know exactly what she means by that. Probably she means that he is a great human. I don't think she realizes that he's God yet. But, she, but uh, eventually that's going to become clear to the disciples on the other side of the gospel. So we see this, and by the way, just a little side note here. If you were wondering when life begins, apparently life begins before the baby emerges from the womb because we have John leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb, and you've got Elizabeth, I mean, it can't be more than a week or two after Gabriel comes to Mary, saying to Mary, why is this granted to me that the mother, right? You're not a mother until you have a child that the mother of my Lord comes to me. Right? Where does life begin? At conception. Okay. But what's interesting here is that this is a fulfillment of something that was said earlier in the story. When the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, he says that John is going to go before the Lord to prepare his way. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb. And here we see that filling of John with the Spirit, and John somehow providentially recognizes that Jesus is here. This is the Lord that he's been preparing for, or that he's supposed to spend his life preparing for. And when that Lord walks into the room in his mother's womb, John leaps for joy. John is happy to be playing second fiddle. 
He doesn't say, I'm the guy. I'm all that. He says, wow, Jesus is here. That's what makes my day, is that Jesus is in the room. When I was in high school, my parents had me do something really weird. And by the way, they had all the Freedmen kids do this. It's a, it's a weird thing that we just did in our family. They made us go to the seminary and take Greek and Hebrew with the seminary students. Okay, So about one day a week throughout high school, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grades, I would have to go up to the seminary and do either a Greek or Hebrew class at some point during the week. It was usually in the morning. And... We would then go to chapel. So the way the seminary classes worked is you'd have two hours of class. So 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. you'd have class. And then you'd take a one-hour break and go to chapel, and then you'd come back to class for another hour. Now, I remember virtually nothing about those chapels. There's one chapel from all my high school years going to all the seminary chapels that I remember. And this is it. There's a guy named Dan Searles. And he and his wife were missionaries. I believe they were missionaries to, is it Hungary? Hungary. Okay. So they were missionaries to Hungary, and he came and spoke at our seminary chapel. And Dan Searles spoke on his life verse. Kind of, okay, so this is a verse that was very particular to him. But the reason I remember it wasn't because it was his life verse. It was because he had a weird life verse. You want to know what it was? It's in John chapter 2, and it's verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Life first. There you go. So obviously, this needs a little bit of explanation. Why in, this, why in the world was this his life first? Uh, he said this. This is what Dan said. He said, it's really amazing if you think about this story. So there are these, these jars, massive jars, and if you calculate how much water they would have held, it's, it's like the weight of a small car, basically. So Jesus is about to turn this water into wine, and Jesus says to these servants, go fill these jars up with water. Now, again, we're talking about an amount of water that would equal a small car. And by the way, they don't have hoses, right? No no running water here. This probably means that they're going to be pulling this stuff out of a well, right? And then they're going to be carrying it in buckets and pouring it into these jars. And Dan said, this is a a massive amount of water, but you don't hear a single thing in the story about the servants complaining about this. Nobody says, can you believe this idiot from Galilee? He's just asking us to fill these things. And by the way, Jesus doesn't even tell them why he wants them to fill the jars with water. He's just like, fill them up. They don't know that he's going to turn it into wine. He just says, fill the jars. And so these servants, whoever they were, we don't know their names. We don't know anything about them except for the fact that they fill the jars with water to the brim. Just like Jesus said. Boom. And he says, I, this is what Dan said, I want to be the guy that when Jesus says to do something really hard and it doesn't make sense, I do it anyway. That's what John is. Somebody who... When Jesus needs something, he is all about Jesus and not about himself. And by the way, this isn't just a thing that happens at Christmas. This is a Christmas thing, but it's not just a Christmas thing. Because this is what John does throughout his life. If you were to read forward into Luke chapter 3, 
you would find John drawing massive crowds. He's out there baptizing in the wilderness and people are coming to him. He is extremely popular. Remember, second, second fiddles have to be good as well. So he's good at what he does. He's drawing these massive crowds. And people are wondering to themselves, Luke says, is John the Messiah? Is this the guy? And he says, I'm not the guy. Because there's one who's coming who is mightier than I. He, in fact, I'm not even worthy to bend over and untie his sandals. That's how great he is. I baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. There's one who's coming, and I'm not the, the guy. But then, John, because he's being a witness, because he's pre- preparing the way for Jesus, and because he's speaking the truth, one of the truths that he speaks is he says to King Herod, King Herod, you've got your brother's wife, and that's not okay. He gets thrown into prison for that. He then gets beheaded for that, eventually. But during that time, he's wondering. He's not so sure. He's, he thinks that Jesus is the Messiah, but he even has to send his disciples in Luke 7 and ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? And Jesus says, look at what's happening. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and implication, yes, I am the one that you've been waiting for. But John, in preparing the way for Jesus and playing second fiddle, he comes to his death. He goes all the way for Jesus. So, what does this mean for us this Advent season? I want to just give you two thoughts here. John points us to Jesus, the true reason for joy. Remember, the reason that John leaps for joy is because Jesus has entered the room. And I know that joy is one of those words that we associate with Christmas, right? We, we sing songs about joy to the world, and we just sung, sung a moment ago, unspeakable joy. But sometimes it's hard to find that unspeakable joy. And if there's ever been a year where it was tough for everybody at the same time, I know that everybody has different things going on in their lives, but if there's ever going to be a year that it was tough for everybody, 2020 has probably been that year. There's just been a lot of tough stuff that has happened. COVID, racial tensions in our country. We've had a very divisive election that's happened. So there's just a lot that makes it hard to be joyful this Christmas. But you know what? The reason that John leaps for joy, and by the way, the reason that everybody is so excited when they hear in Luke 1-2 to that Jesus is arriving isn't because things were easy then. They weren't easy. Rome was in power. Caesar was on the throne. Uh, At least Mary was pretty poor, we think. So there were lots of reasons for them not to be joyful. The reason that they were joyful wasn't because things were easy. It was because someone had arrived who made everything different. And for us this year... The path to joy isn't just trying to pretend like the hard things aren't there. Instead, it's looking at our difficult circumstances and saying, that's true, but there's something bigger. There's something, and not really something, someone who is bigger than our troubles. 
First Peter puts it like this in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, he, he first, in the previous verses, he goes through and he says, here's all the amazing things that God has done for us. And then he says, in this you rejoice, even if now, for a little while, you've been grieved by various sufferings. In this you rejoice. What's this? It's all that God has done for us. So we concentrate on what all God has done for us, and we rejoice in that. You don't have to rejoice in sufferings. I don't know of any place in the Bible where it says that you have to be happy about bad circumstances. Instead, what happens is we look and we see, wow, here's what God has done. We put our sufferings in perspective, and that makes all the difference. I remember one time I was uh, out on our front porch at our house praying, and um, praying about some some difficult stuff in my life, and... I, I looked down and saw a shadow of a massive flying creature fly, flying by. I thought, wow, what in the world is that thing that just, that just came over? And I looked up, and uh, kind of like right here, there was, a, uh, there was a floodlight right over here, just to my right. And I looked up, and uh, that massive flying thing that I had seen coming over, the shadow, was a moth about this big. And it looked really big if you looked at the shadow, but if you looked at the light, you realized that it wasn't so big. So what we need to do this Christmas, if we want to truly be joyful, is do the John thing. And to look where John points us, right? John isn't about himself. He's pointing to Jesus. We need to look at Jesus and everything that Jesus has done for us. And that is the path to true joy. But there's something else. And it's this. John also provides us with an example. John, throughout his life, plays second fiddle to Jesus. And Jesus, in fact, says that this is what it means to be one of his followers. In chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. John recognizes that John is not the Messiah. And he says, that means I need to make my whole life about preparing for this one named Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what we need to be doing if we are going to follow Jesus. We make our lives all about someone else. And that sounds really great and really nice until what Jesus wants for you is not what you want for you. (laughs) Right? It sounds pretty nice to say, I'm going to make my life all about Jesus. Because of course, we assume, what Jesus wants for our lives is what we want for our lives, right? Jesus wants for our lives the best things that we would want for us. But what about when Jesus doesn't want for you what you want for your life? Ooh, that's a little bind that we come to in the Christian life uh, that's called sanctification. Or if you persevere through it, it's called sanctification. Where God takes you and changes you so that your desires are his desires and so that you become holy like him. But that can be really tough. Can I tell you? There are some things in my life that that I want right now that I think are really good things. But apparently, 
Jesus doesn't think they're necessary things. Interesting. Okay, so that means that if I'm going to play second fiddle, I've got to say, Jesus, I don't really like what you want from me right now, but you mean more to me than I mean to me. Whew. Can you do that? Not on your own steam, but the Holy Spirit empowers us to say yes to Jesus, even when it means saying no to what we want. And that's what Christmas is all about. Playing second fiddle frees us from bondage to our circumstances. It also frees us from bondage to our self-interest. And the good news of Christmas is that someone has come who is worth playing second fiddle to. Amen? And so as we sit here in 2020, we look back to what God has done in the past. We look back to the Old Testament and the amazing stories of what He's done for His people. We look back to the incarnation and Jesus' death on the cross. But we also, we also look forward to what God's going to do in the future. We look forward to Christ's second coming. In fact, that's traditionally in the Christian faith been what part of what Advent is all about. It's not just looking backward to the incarnation, but it's also about looking forward to Jesus' second coming. And so, as we move into Christmas this year, let's make our lives second fiddle lives like John's. And let's focus ourselves on the only one who is worthy of playing second fiddle to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you in a difficult year. A year that has meant losing people to death for some of us. A year that has meant many inconveniences and tough things for our lives. But Lord, in the midst of all this, we know that you are good and we know that you are with us because you've demonstrated that in so many ways, but most of all, by sending your Son to die for us on the cross to demonstrate your faithfulness to your creation. And so, Lord, this year, would you help us to find true joy by playing second fiddle, by taking the back seat to you and making our lives about magnifying your life. And Lord, as we look at your light, we pray that the moths of our circumstances would fade into the background and that we would see you and your reality and everything that you have for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Go in peace.